What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me here for this Wednesday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We're a Sports Ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me over on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. That's where you find all of our new content here at Sports Ethos on the baseball side, whether it be podcasts, articles, different news and notes, polls, any updates to the site, anything, uh, you guys will find it there at EthosFantasyBB. So make sure you guys are following over there. If you're not somebody who uses Twitter or social media, then you can go ahead and check out SportsEthos.com and you'll get all that stuff right from the source right when it is dropped. But today, we are not going to waste much time in getting going. We are going to continue where we left off yesterday. If you missed it, please do go uh, back and check out yesterday's show. It was our first part of the first base review. We went through 1 through 10 on Yahoo's Player Ranker. I know there are different people who do different reviews, and they'll look at it from different perspectives and different angles. Some people use Rasball. We're doing a different approach here, and we are looking at the Yahoo Player Ranker. So if you want to follow along, go to your either Yahoo website or maybe in your app. You can go and you can sort by first baseman from the top down. And today we are going to be going through 11 to number 20. The first guy that we are going to discuss is number 11 on that list, of course, and it's Anthony Santander. I got to be honest, I was somebody who did not give him probably enough of a leash this season in terms of getting going. Uh, I had him in a couple of leagues. One of the leagues I had him, thankfully, was a draft and hold, so I wasn't able to drop him, and I was able to benefit from what he did later in the season. But there was there was definitely a time for the first couple of months where I was really worried about Santander, and I was dropping him in shallower formats. But he did end up having a great season. It was 28 homers, 81 runs, 95 RBI. He stole five bases, which was a career high, and a two fifty seven batting average. Now, previously, he had only stolen as many as one base uh, in a season. One stolen base was his previous high. Getting up to five is really, really good. You'd love to see that. He played a career high 153 games. And, you know, where this is a first base review, he only played at first base 12 times. Now, he came to the season with first base eligibility. He will not carry that on certain sites. If you're playing NFBC, we've talked about this a lot. You need 20 games of uh, play at a position in one season to carry that over into the next season. In season, you only need to play there 10 times during the season, and then they'll add it for that year. But for it to carry over, you need 20 times on the NFBC. So I believe he'll still have it on Yahoo, uh, ESPN, and uh, I was about to say NBC, but CBS, Fantrax. I believe he'll have it on those sites but it will not be NFBC there. He will just be outfield eligible as he was predominantly a right fielder, 97 times in right field, 47 times he was a designated hitter, and then also one time he appeared in left field. Now, he was a top 100 player. If you look at Yahoo's rankings, he was 97th on the season. And if you look at projections for next year, they're pretty much expecting him to do exactly the same thing. Uh, They're projecting, if you look at Steamer, which is the only real system we have out right now, One more home run he's projected for, two more runs scored, one fewer RBI, one fewer stolen base, and six points off of his batting average. Really, it's exactly the same thing that they are expecting for next season. Now, Santander, he's still got another year of eligibility, uh, arbitration eligibility, I should say, before he's a free agent. So he is locked in. He will be there uh, starting pretty much every single day for the Orioles. Now, the, the question that I've come back to a couple times as we've gone through these reviews, because you do hit on certain positions and you'll talk about certain teams over and over again, is are the Orioles actually going to continue to get <clears throat> better and better? And I, I think they will. Like, there's so much young talent here. I just think we have to kind of think about maybe the fact that they got a little bit lucky this season. You know, they won 100 ball games, 101, whatever it was. 
I don't know if that's necessarily going to continue. They got a lot of great offensive contributions from random guys like Ryan O'Hearn. Uh, you know, Jorge Mateo early in the season was great. You had Aaron Hicks come in and do a lot for them offensively. So I think the overall product of the offense may come down a tad, and you may see those numbers regress a little bit more than we were expected for Santander. His home runs came down from 33 to 28. I think the, st- the actual power is pretty much the same. But you have to factor in that you know maybe it'll go up or down. You're not really 100% sure based on his career path because 2021, it was 110 games. He had 18 homers. Before that, we'd only really seen partial seasons from him. The power always has seemed legit, but I'm not sure if we can put a real exact number on it that we expect, right? It could be 35. It could be 22 just as easily. So there is that variance, I think, there. Plus, with the lineup, you know, like I said, it could go, and, you know, Jackson Holiday's up to start the season. Cedric Mullins regains his form. Adley gets better. Gunner gets better. It could just keep getting better and be incredible. But it could also kind of take a step back. A lot of these young players, it's a very tough division. So I don't think we can necessarily just write him down for 95 RBI and 81 runs again. I think that that's probably not too far off. But I also think it's expecting quite a lot for him to repeat exactly what he did this year, where everything kind of went right for the Orioles. I don't know that we can necessarily say that that's going to happen again in 2024. Now, his price is pretty reasonable. It's 146.5 on the ADP. So 111 is the minimum, 178 being the maximum. I think it's very reasonable to take a chance on him in that kind of range. There's no problem with it as far as I see. I think you just also have to be conscious of the fact that, well, maybe it's not going to be another top 100 season from Santander. And you're not paying a top 100 price, thank God. But just be conscious of the fact that, you know, you're looking at last year, you saw 95 RBI, you saw 89 the year before. Maybe it doesn't stick to that exact same extent. It's good that he's projected to bat third in the order. Like if we see him bat third and he's surrounded by Rutschman and Henderson and those kind of names, then it's probably going to go pretty well but I think there's also some reason to throw a little bit of cold water on it. Not that I'm out on him or anything like that, but I think we also just have to think that maybe it's not going to be such a superstar kind of season from him again. And maybe it wasn't superstar is too strong of a word, but you're closing in on 100 RBI, 30 home run. That's a stud-type season. And I know he did roughly the same thing in 2022, but I just think that it's maybe overshooting our expectations a little bit to expect him to do the exact same thing again or to possibly even get better, right? There's a good chance that he just stays exactly the same, but I'm not all the way there yet uh, on being 100% bought in on Santander. But I do think the price is fairly reasonable if you do want to take a chance in that kind of range, then I, I don't really have much of a problem with it. But let's talk about number 12, and that's Spencer Steer. We've talked about Spencer Steer a little bit already, so I'm not going to go crazy, crazy in, in a bunch of detail about him because we've talked about him at a couple of positions. Spencer Steer qualified at a few different spots this year as you know if you've rostered him anywhere he was first base third base outfield second base uh, all over the place eligible he played 73 times at first which was his main position 34 times at third 45 times uh, in left field uh, 16 times at second six times he was a dh three times he was in right field he was literally just all over the place now his eligibility next year will be first third, and outfield, which I got to be honest, is one of the sweeter eligibilities that you're going to find. You, you can't really argue much with that. That's NFBC. That's everywhere. And if you're going even shallower formats, or not necessarily shallower formats, but those leagues where you're talking generally 10s and 12 teamers, Yahoo, ESPN, and the like, then he's probably going to have second base in your format as well because he played there 16 times. So he is 
literally an everyman who is going to get into the lineup pretty much every single day, whether it's at one spot or another. You got to love that. You got to love what he did here in his rookie season, 156 games. I actually don't know if he qualified as a rookie. I think he did. I can't. I, I can't remember the, how the voting went now, honestly. My brain's been so much you know, away from the from the awards part of it. But I believe he was considered a rookie this year. He played 28 games the year prior, but I, I think he was still a rookie. Regardless, 23 homers, 15 stolen bases, 86 RBI, 74 runs. And I think the sweetest part of it, honestly, might have been that he also carried a very strong batting average, 271. Excellent, excellent season from Spencer Steer. Now, I've had some worries a little bit, and I've talked about this, and I don't mean to be repetitive if you heard me talk about Spencer Steer on the different shows, but I also realize that not everybody's listening to every single second of what I have to say. Uh, if you are, then thank you, but I, I doubt that there's a ton of people who listen to every single second of every single show. So you might have missed me talk a little bit about Spencer Steer and about the Reds in general. I've worried a little bit that they may at some point, you know, especially if these young guys keep coming up and they need to fill spots, then they're going to be overcrowded. And we saw that at times a little bit this past season. There was worry with Spencer Steer at a certain point. Once, I believe it was when Noelvi Marte was called up, there was a lot of moving parts on the Reds this year. I can't remember what part it was exactly. But people were preemptively dropping Spencer Steer, even though we're talking about a top 70, top 80 player at the time, because they're worried about where that playing time is going to come from. I think it's going to come, based on the fact that he can play a lot of different positions. He's not amazing defensively. He's really not great at all. But the fact that you can put him in a bunch of different spots and it's not going to be like catastrophic is a huge thing for that Reds team. He can be not necessarily a rover type, but kind of functioning in that kind of role of somebody who just plays all over the place. He's projected to be the number three hitter if you look at roster resource. And if he is surrounded by Matt McClain, TJ Friedel, Christian Encarnacion, Strand, Noel B. Marte, Ellie De La Cruz, like it's going to look pretty good for him. Uh, now, I'm going to just refresh here and just double-check and make sure the price is right and there's no changes yet. So we have 44 drafts. feels like every day we talk about this, and it is a different number of drafts because – people's drafts are concluding. Generally, we're talking about these slow drafts that have been going on for a week or two that are closing up shop, or maybe it's even just a quick draft that happened last night. Regardless of what it is, we have 44 total drafts to look at now. Spencer Steer, he's actually outside of the top 100, and there was a time when he was just inside. Uh, His minimum pick is 72, maximum of 158, and the ADP averaging out at 104.5. I think at that point, it's a really good price if it's outside of the top 100. I know I've kind of gone back and forth a little bit on Spencer Steer, and that's kind of the point of these shows as well. I don't have fully formed opinions on a lot of these guys yet at this point of the offseason. Talking through it with you guys will kind of give me a better picture of where I stand on a lot of guys. And talking through Spencer Steer more and going over his metrics more, I mean, he only had a 20% strikeout rate as a rookie, 24 in his first cup of coffee in 2022, which is already pretty damn good. If you're debuting with a 24% K rate, that's pretty damn solid. You're already just about at league average. He dropped that below league average, 20.9%, and he's walking at a great clip of 10.2%. He's getting on base 35% of the time this season. That's huge. On base percentage league or average, it doesn't matter. Wherever you had him, he was incredibly, incredibly valuable. And I've come around to the idea that wherever it is, he's going to get opportunities to play, and he's going to play most of the time. So there's no real need to worry about Spencer Steer. I, I know I've talked about that in the past, even over the last few weeks, but the more I see it, I just can't really see him being a guy that doesn't get every day at bats. It'll be at least you know six out of seven days kind of type of thing, where whether it's a weekly league or a daily league, you're absolutely going to be able to 
stomach that. It's not like he's going to be somebody who is playing half the time or whatever. He played 156 games this year, and I would expect that trend to continue. So don't be afraid to smash draft on Spencer Steer, in my opinion, if he's going around pick 100. Excuse me, guys. Got something in the throat. If he's going around pick 100, which is where he's settling in right now, then I think that's going to be a really good spot for you, regardless of your league size. If it's a 15-teamer, you're talking like eighth round, roughly somewhere in there, uh, seventh, eighth round ADP. There's no reason not to, and you just add more rounds. If you're talking 10 or 12 teamers, you've already got a fully fleshed out team at that point. If you're talking a 10-team league after pick 10, after pick 100, you've got 10 players on your team already. You have your foundation set, and a guy like Spencer Steer could easily slip into that foundation as well and not just be somebody that you're kind of like, eh, I don't know about on. Like He's somebody that you can be very confident on uh, building on what he did last season, considering it's an incredible ballpark and a team around him that looks like it's poised to be really, really good. So no problem at all uh, with Spencer Steer. He had a great season last year, expected more of the same come 2024. But let's talk about the next guy on the list. I would not have thought that he would have finished as the unlucky, in this case, number 13 uh, first baseman on the season, and it's Vladimir Guerrero Jr. My goodness, what has happened to Vladimir Guerrero Jr. from a fantasy point of view, from a real-life point of view? The conversations I've had with people over the last few months, I would say, because I was about to say a few weeks, but it's honestly been longer than that, a few months, Talking about Vladdy, a lot of people, a lot of very intelligent people are not worried about him. I think that there is some reason to be a little bit worried, though. I had this conversation with a bunch of people a couple days ago. I was tweeting about Vladdy uh, because there was a tweet from Shelly Veristrate, who is a prospects writer. I believe she's with NBC Sports, uh, which Roto World, essentially, and a couple other places. Baseball HQ, I think she's done some work for Pitcher List. And she tweeted something out that said that she's not really worried about Vlad and more so that she doesn't buy into the fact that 2021's numbers were boosted by the fact that Jays are playing in minor league parks. They absolutely were. If you look at the splits, if you go to the tweet that I sent out, I list out all of it there. And essentially the Coles notes here is, if you look at his OPS by season, as a rookie, it was 772, and then it was 791. Then it went up to 1,000, and then it went down to 818 and 788. So... That one season was the huge outlier. If you look at the home and away splits in 2021 for Vlad, 31 homers came at home, 17 on the road. The numbers are very disproportionate if you look at what he did at home versus on the road. Now, over the last couple of seasons, he's still been very good, and I think that he is still a stud baseball player, right? He's striking out only 14% of the time with a 10% walk rate. 26 homers, you know, he's batting 264, which is kind of a down season. That's He's still a stud, and we got to remember – He's 24 years old. He'll be 25 at the beginning of next year, just a couple weeks before the season starts in March. That's when he'll turn 25 years old. So he's still incredibly young. And I'm not willing to say that he is not going to get back to MVP form, but we also kind of have to probably regress our expectations a little bit. I still think that he, like, I talked about him as a value, as a good ADP value in the third round, going early third. I really think that that's a good spot, but you also can't be drafting him there and saying, oh, I'm getting a first-round player in the third round because we don't know if Vlad's a first-round player. At this point, he's probably not. Like, if you look at Yahoo's overall rankings, he was 101st this season. Some systems will have him as high as in the 70s from what I've seen. But, you know, either way, you're paying a first-round price for somebody or you have been paying a first-round price for somebody who has not been returning that value. Now, when the, first, when the first round of projections came out from Steamer, I looked at them, and I, like a lot of Blue Jays fans, are incredibly happy. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., 36 homers, 107 ribbies, a 285 average, seven stolen bases. It looks incredible. 
And then I took a step back and realized that these projections generally factor in the past three seasons, right? Whatever projection system you're looking at, they generally factor in the previous three years. However, it gets broken down. Obviously, the more recent numbers are weighed more heavily. But that 2021 season is still factoring into projections for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. I'll be really interested to see, hypothetically speaking, and I hope this doesn't happen on all honesty, if Vlad has another down year this year, let's call it, you know, 27 homers and he bats 258 and it's 87 RBI and it's a good year, but not, a you know, an exceptional year, what the projections will look like next season again, because the expected stats and the batted ball data is still really, really, really good. Excellent. Top five or 10% of the league, but they're not translating to actual results these last couple of years, specifically this season. It was a really, really challenging year. And yet at the same time, he got a career-low strikeout rate and just about a career-high walk rate. And again, 2021, he was getting walked all over the place. But outside of that, it's the best walk rate we've ever seen, and it was the best strikeout rate we've seen from him, even including 2021. Only 14.7%. That is elite, an absolutely elite strikeout rate. So there's a lot to still really like with Vladimir Guerrero Jr., but temper your expectations a little bit when you're evaluating him and drafting him. Because I do still think he's a good draft pick in the third round, but I don't I'm not taking him there because I'm thinking he's 100% a first-round player. I think that's the upside, but I also like the idea of drafting a guy a couple rounds later than you have been in previous seasons because of things that are not really necessarily their fault. Whether it's because they're maybe a year older, and sometimes the age one can be tricky, but when you have kind of a generally unlucky season, like Vlad had, a 277 BABIP is the lowest he's ever had. It, you know, If you even give him a regular league average BABIP, and his BABIP for the career is 294, even including that. You give him that, he's probably a 275, 280 hitter, and then we're not really so worried at that point. Probably adds another homer or two. With the, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm going crazy with Vlad because I'm a Blue Jay fan, and that is totally, totally possible. But I think that there's still not really a firm basis to evaluate him one way or the other. We don't know what he's going to be. I don't think we can expect another 50 home run season anytime soon. But again, he might do that this year. He might very well go out there and hit 50 homers, and I'll happily eat my words. I will happily eat my words if Vlad is able to go out there and be an MVP again. Obviously, I'm a Jays fan. I love the guy. Watched him since he was in the minor leagues, always hoping for the best. But we're not probably taking a first-round player in the third round with him. That's the narrative right now that I've seen from a few people. And maybe he gets there, but don't draft him expecting it because there's a big difference. All right, let's talk Josh Naylor. We'll go from a guy who plays for a Canadian. Actually, you know, I forget, but Vladimir Guerrero Jr. actually is Canadian, born in Montreal. Uh, we'll go from a Canadian to a Canadian. It's because Vlad more identifies with the Dominican, and he'll play for the Dominican and things like that. But let's move on. Let's talk about number 14, and that's Josh Naylor. My goodness, what a season he had in only 121 games. And he was somebody that started off, from what I recall this year, let me just double check. Yeah, it was a poor, poor April uh, he batted 212 in April, and then after that, he absolutely took off. Now, he did miss time down the stretch, but he ended up, like I said, 121 games, 17 homers, 52 runs, which really bad news is the team, and the 52 runs is not really indicative of him, but those 52 runs, crazy enough, 97 RBI in 121 games, 10 stolen bases, and then maybe the sweetest part was a 308 batting average from Josh Naylor. He's fully coming into his own. We're seeing him turn into the star that we'd hoped he would be uh, for the last several seasons now. And we saw it a little bit in 2022, and he was a great fantasy asset in 22 as well. 
But this year we saw him reach a whole new level, only striking out 13% of the time, walking 6.7% of the time, which is fine, especially when you're only striking out that much, getting on base as much as he is. He's stealing more bases than I personally thought he would get to. Getting 10 steals in 121 games is really a good sign. I don't think it's going to grow so much. He is still a fairly big guy, 250 pounds. So I don't think we're going to see a ton of stolen bases, but if he can even be a 10 or 12 steal guy while hitting close to 300 and showing us decent power, 20 to 25 homer power, then I think we're going to be real interested in him. Now, the team context sucks, and that's why the last two years combined, he has 99 runs scored in 243 games. It's terrible. But the RBIs are there. 80 last year or 79 last season and 97 this year. That is a ridiculous number to have in 121 games for a shit show of an offense. Cleveland's offense this season was garbage, dreadful, dreadful. And he had 97 RBI in 121 games. So there is definitely, definitely hope that Josh Naylor over the course of a full season, even if the run total doesn't look great, and there's no reason to expect that Cleveland's offense is going to just quickly turn around next year, you could be looking at quite easily 100-plus RBI, double-digit steals, 25 homers, maybe even potentially 30 homers and close to a 300 batting average. Josh Naylor could be somebody that is an absolute smash next season if he stays healthy. Now, I don't know exactly, again, what their offense is going to look like. Maybe it's there's another piece or two added. I, I don't know. I don't think it'll be that different. But either way, just what he's been able to do, even in a bad offense, is incredibly impressive. Now, his price is also pretty damn nice right now. Even though he is just first base eligible, and I know that he has had outfield eligibility in the past, but that's not really going to be a thing anymore. Only one appearance in right field, 91 at first, and 27 as a DH. First base eligible, Josh Naylor right now in the NFBC is going at pick 136.8, call it 137. Minimum pick of 107, maximum of 179. I did take him in one draft, uh, the draft I did out in Arizona. I have him, and I probably didn't need him. I had first base taken care of. He'll be in a corner spot for me. But you can't argue with what he's done. You can't argue with that. You can't argue with the age either. You're talking about a guy who is 26 years old. He'll turn 27 in the middle of next year. Going to be going right into the middle of that prime. So I think that Josh Naylor is already as impressive as he has been could potentially even reach another level next year. My projections for him are going to be really through the roof. But let's move on. Let's talk now about number 15, and that's Alec Bohm. I've been a big fan of Alec Bohm over the last couple of seasons. I know that some people kind of discount him, and he's been a player that I've seen a lot of fantasy analysts kind of go back and forth on on Twitter. He sucks. He's great, whatever. He's proven it over the last two seasons that he is a fantasy asset, a legitimate fantasy asset 152 and 145 games each of these past two years. The home runs went up this year. The RBIs went up. The stolen bases went up. So we got up to 20 homers, 97 ribbies, four stolen bases. He scored 74 runs, and he batted 274. Josh Na- or Josh Naylor, Alec Bohm is a solid, absolutely solid batting average contributor. You also know now that he is a 20 home run bat or close to it, even if you're going to call it 17 to 20 range, whatever. The lineup that he is in will be continuing to produce a stupid amount of runs. When you're talking about being surrounded by Bryce Harper, by Kyle Schwarber, by Trey Turner, by Nick Castellanos, I've heard talks of Castellanos potentially getting moved, but let's say he's still there. And then you've got Bryson Stott, you got JT Real Muto. Like, it is a ridiculous, ridiculous offense. And then Brandon Marsh, you know, who kind of gets passed over a lot of the time. We kind of forget about Brandon Marsh, but he had a really good season himself this year. Even though he is more a guy who is there for the defense, 
Uh, the offense really, really is coming around for him, too. So this team just as a whole is incredibly scary. Boehm slotted anywhere in that lineup is going to be somebody that we should be talking about and we should be taking, I think, fairly early. And they've shown that they'll use him pretty high up in that batting order. Like, it's not going to be all the time. But there were times when he's batting second. There are times when he's batting fourth, fifth. The majority of the time, he was batting seventh. That was 51 appearances, batting seventh. But there was also 20 times at number two, eight times at three, 20 times at four, 16 times at five, 29 times at six. He's always in the middle, in the meat of that order somewhere. Whether it's more of an RBI scoring spot in the four through seven spots, or if it's two or three where he's more getting on base and getting driven in by the guys behind him. Either way, they trust him in that lineup. The defense is still not great, but I think it's gotten around a little bit over the last couple of seasons. They're going to play him every single day, 145 games. Whether it's first or third, it doesn't really matter, and that's another thing with Alec Bohm. You're getting first and third eligibility. He played there 90 times this past season at third and also 80 times at first. Really got to like what you're getting out of Mr. Bohm. I think the lineup is the huge calling card there because, you know, you can see empty batting average on bad teams. It doesn't really do much for you if the guy's not doing other things. But when you got good batting average, decent pop, everything's going for Alec Bohm. And the price is also there. 161 is the ADP. At that point, why not, right? 108 is the minimum. 192 is the max. You're talking about round 11. You're getting dual eligibility. You're getting a couple steals from your third base spot if you're putting them there. It's a guy you can wait on at third base and feel pretty comfortable about. There's not a ton of guys like that at third base. Once you get out of the you know, top few names in the first couple rounds, you're losing faith in a lot of those names. Alec Bohm was a guy if you can wait on, and even if you want to jump him you know, a round or so just so you make sure you get that third baseman if you're going to wait and take him at 150, I think that's still really good value considering what he brings to the table. Definitely a big fan of Alec Bohm. Definitely going to be drafting him where he's going, assuming that this ADP sticks roughly. Then you got to like what you're seeing. Let's talk Isak Paredes. Again, he's another guy I Pardon me if you have heard me talk about him a lot. We have talked about him a lot. I think he's a really intriguing player. But this will be the last position where we mention him. Uh, he played 113 times at third base, or excuse me, 116 times at third base. That was his main position. But also 25 times at first and 14 times at second. So, again, if you're an NFBC player, you're getting first and third at base eligibility from Paredes. If you are playing on the shallower formats, you'll get first, second, and third, which is incredibly valuable he also played short one time last season. I don't think this is going to happen because I don't think that he is really made to be a shortstop, but the defense has been okay from him. If they need a long-term replacement for Franco, I don't think they'll go there necessarily. I don't think, but you never know what the Rays, they do a lot of weird trades and uh, moving guys around. So I don't really know. That's not, not something I would pay a lot of attention to, but just something to keep in the back of your mind. He did appear at short once this past season. If Franco doesn't play again in the major leagues, which is looking more and more likely every day, Maybe they go there. I know they got a lot of young guys who can fill the gap, but just uh, just something to keep in the back of your mind. But either way, we got 143 games out of him, 31 homers, 98 ribbies, and a 250 batting average. You'll take the 250 batting average every day considering everything else he gave you, considering that he was for pretty much free for you guys this season. If you're talking deeper leagues, like, yeah, you were drafting him if you're, you know, drafting holds and whatnot. Like, he was, he was drafted. He wasn't outside of that realm. Because he did show off in 2022, 20 home runs in 111 games, but you were not expecting this, really. You weren't expecting the batting average to go up the way it did. You weren't probably expecting close to 100 ribbies. He even stole a base for you, which I know it's one steal, but you never know. Sometimes you win a league or you win a week by one steal. It might have been because of Paredes just throwing it out there. He was kind of an everyman this season. 
And I know it's weird to say about a guy who is, you know, what are you talking about, Joe? He was a three-category guy. When you got three positions of eligibility in that lineup and you're hitting 30 home runs, I think you deserve an everyman title, even if I'm maybe being a little bit too extra with it. 10% walk rate, so he was really good in on-base percentage leagues as well. Strikeout rate below 20%. Just check marks across the board here for Isak Paredes. I, I love the guy. I had him on my home league team. He did wonders for me. I love the guy. Now, in terms of for next season, the price is also pretty reasonable. We're not talking egregious pricing at all here, for, especially for a first and third base eligible guy. 186 is his ADP. 141 is on the minimum side. 233 is the maximum. Either either way, though, like even if you're getting him at 140, 150, I know it's probably a little high, but I don't feel terrible about it. Third base, especially in a roto setting, NFBC setting, you need a lot of positions to fill. You need to fill a third baseman. You need to fill middle. You need to fill corner. You need to fill five outfielders. You need to fill utility spots. There's 23 active spots on the roster to fill. 14 of them are position players. There's a lot to get through. So if you're getting Isak Paredes at pick 186, let's say you're getting him right where he's going. In a 15-teamer, that's round 13. I mean, I think you could do a lot worse than pretty much securing yourself 25, 30 home runs with, you know, not guarantee, but pretty much a guarantee of a good run total in that lineup. I think you could do a hell of a lot worse than Isak Paredes. He's somebody that I'll have shares of. Absolutely. You know, I, I know we've gone through some of these shows and I'm coming off as a pessimist sometimes. Where I'm saying, nope, I don't like this price. Nope, I don't like it. I don't like it. A lot of these guys we're talking about today, their prices are very reasonable. Pretty much everybody we're talking about is going outside of the top 100 after returning and well outside, you know, 140s, 150s and beyond for a lot of them after giving you top 100 or better seasons this year. There's a lot of guys that I think, you know, the guys we mentioned, Naylor, Bohm, Paredes, Spencer Steer, especially, there's going to be a lot of value in them. I don't know that they're going to be pushed up terribly high. Josh Naylor getting hurt that closer to the end of the season honestly might have just helped him get a better price for next year. I don't know. Like there's, there's certain things in these prices that I don't, maybe they won't stick, right? Maybe they'll make more sense as we get closer to the season. But as of right now, a lot of them don't make sense. Like why are you getting Josh Naylor so late? Why are you getting Paredes so late? 186. I would have thought people would jump on Paredes a lot earlier than that, but either way, we'll take it, right? If you're getting him at that price, let's go. Let's take it there every single time. But let's talk about another guy, and this is a, someone that is completely new to us in these positional reviews. We have not talked about him at all, and that's Spencer Torkelson. Spencer Torkelson had a hell of a season, and it's not something I was expecting. I got to come out and say I apologize because Spencer Torkelson was somebody that I labeled early in the season to be a bust. I was saying it's never going to work out for Torkelson. I said it on this show. He's not good. He's not a good ball player. He hits for a low batting average at the point when I was saying this. He had four home runs through the first two months of the season. It was garbage. It was honestly garbage production that we'd gotten out of him. A lot of people were very invested in him in dynasty leagues and were very disappointed. But then it started to turn around. And I think you can kind of point to the turnaround as probably being somewhere in June when he hit seven home runs. Batting average was still low, and that's a problem with him. The batting average is not great. But seven homers in June, four in July, nine in August, and then seven in September. He really, really finished out strong. Ended up with 31 homers, 94 RBI, 88 runs, three stolen bases. And again, like I said, the batting average is the problem. But he got it up to 233, despite hitting, having months where he was batting under 200. You got to like what you saw out of Torgelson. You got to like the progression. Now, he is a strict first base only eligible guy, 154 times there. He was a DH five times this season. So you're getting first base only but that's pretty okay 
um, considering what you're getting at a Torkelson. I also think that the Tigers are going to be a team that slightly does improve. I think Riley Green is going to keep getting better. Kerry Carpenter showed us what he can do. Um, you know, Parker Meadows showed some interesting things as well. I, I think this team can be pretty damn good. Now, Spencer Torkelson, his price is a little on the high side for me. I'll be honest. Minimum pick of 63. No, thank you. That is absolutely ridiculous. That's early fifth round in a four uh, in a 15 teamer. I can't get behind it there. But the maximum pick was 174 at that price, and I'll absolutely get behind it, averaging out to an ADP right now of 118. Now, if I'm looking at the scatter plot here of where he has been drafted, that is way and away the highest position we've seen Spencer Torkelson go. He's generally going in the 90s, typically like 80s and 90s at the highest. And then a lot of the time you're also seeing him slip past about 125, 130 kind of range. So you don't necessarily have to pay a ridiculous price for Torkelson. There was just because somebody you know did pay a ridiculous price. You do not have to be one of those people. That's not where he's generally going in these drafts. So uh, 63, yes, whoever did that, I think they made a mistake. But maybe even, maybe they didn't. Like, I, I wouldn't be doing it because you don't need to do it, right? If you don't need to draft a player that high up, then take him generally where he's going. ADP is a guide, but it's one that should be used, you know, to some degree. Don't be, don't be jumping Spencer Torkelson up several rounds. But if he gets the batting average up to, like, 260, projections have him for 242. Even getting up to 242, another 10 points on it, he could really make some noise. Even with the kind of disappointing start he had to the season, bad batting average, not a lot of steals. He was 129th ranked player on Yahoo. That's pretty pretty damn good. So I'm not going to count, count out the fact that maybe he can get better and improve in a few different areas and become that guy who is finishing in the 60 kind of range. But there's no need to draft him there. But the good thing is you, you don't have to. So take him where he's going or beyond. I think it's okay. Maybe the ADP is being skewed a little bit by that one high draft price. It can happen. We've only got 44 drafts under the under our belts, so it's still a little bit early in the process to be taking a hell of a lot away from this stuff. So maybe you take away that one and you're looking at more of like a 125 kind of range. And there you're getting a little bit more interesting to me. I think the later, obviously, the better, but he's probably okay starting in that range. Like you got to think that even the Tigers were a bad team this year. 88 runs, 94 RBI. He showed it's not going to hinder him. There are guys who are on teams where you can you can see it. You can see if you're playing for Oakland, you're playing for you know certain guys on the Nationals, the Pirates, wherever. They're not going to be able to drive in enough runs, score enough runs themselves to actually make themselves fantasy viable because of the team they're on. But we're not seeing that with Torkelson, so there is reason to believe that he can just keep building on what we saw this past season and make himself somebody who's a top 100 player. I wouldn't count it out, uh, but I think that generally speaking. I don't love the price, the ADP being inside the top 120. I'd like to see it a little bit farther, but I don't really have a huge problem with it either. Let's talk about a really interesting player here, and at, this is number 18, I believe. Uh, yeah, number 18, and this is Nolan Jones. Nolan Jones is somebody that has been really, really polarizing because, well, he had an incredible season, right? Let's start there. Let's start with the numbers we got from him. 20 homers, 20 stolen bases, a 297 batting average, 62 RBI, and 60 runs over 106 games. He went 20-20 in just over half a season. That's super impressive. Now, you're going to say some people, if you haven't dug in yet, can't blame people for thinking this, that, well, he's playing for Colorado. I mean, you know, you're going to get those kind of numbers at Coors. On the road, he was just as good as he was at home, though. 
if you're looking on the road, his OPS was actually 10 points higher than it was at home. 935 on the road, 925 at home. Now, the BABIP was remarkably high for Nolan Jones this season. So there is probably going to be some regression in that regard. It was 401, which, okay, no one has a 400 BABIP. It is incredibly rare to see number that high. Sustained for even 106 games. It's a lot. He's always run really, really, really high BABIPs, though. So it's not to say that he's going to regress and be where you see a lot of players in the 300 to 330-ish kind of range. He'll regress and he'll be somewhere in the 350 kind of range. Now that could very well lead to a 300 batting average. It was more likely than not going to lead to like a 240 to 260 kind of range. That's generally where we have seen him land a lot of his seasons. Now he has also... You know, overshot that at times, but over the more recent sample sizes we've seen as he's progressed throughout the minor leagues, 253, 238, 276, 244, to spike a 300 season is incredible, and he was doing it in the minors this year, too. In 39 uh, AAA games, he was batting 356 with 12 dingers, five steals. He just had a hot, hot, hot season. Now, people are salivating, projecting him over the course of a full season and saying, well, we get you know, 160 games out of him, then we're getting a 30-30 with, 30 home, or with you know, 300 batting average. That's what people are saying about Nolan Jones. I think that you're probably overshooting it at that point to expect him to be doing that. Now, Nolan Jones' price, the, that's the really the thing that is polarizing about him more so than him as a player, is his price. And he is one of these guys, a la Royce Lewis, who is being drafted really high up after a small major league sample size. 58 is the ADP for Nolan Jones. I know, it's shocking. He's going in the fourth round of 15-team leagues, which a lot of the drafts right now are 15-teamers. If you're talking 12-team drafts, that's the end of the fifth. That's still incredibly early, in my opinion, for somebody that does not have a large sample size. He was a good prospect, but he was never a top, top prospect, I don't think. And again, you guys know I'm not a big prospect guy, but I don't think the pedigree was like through the roof. He was traded. Again, it was Cleveland that was a bad trade, but he was not somebody that was like some huge prize possession. He had a really, really strong year. Really strong year. Also buoyed a little bit by a, by some luck. Not to say that it was all luck, but I don't think he's a 20 stolen base guy necessarily. We never saw that kind of speed from him in the minor leagues. Really. The most we ever saw from him was 10 steals over 100 games in AAA and 21 Generally, though, you're seeing, and actually every other season, you're seeing only a single-digit number. Now, as you're going through the minors at each level, you're not usually playing that many games. So sometimes it can be broken up in small numbers because of that. But still, you're seeing five bases here, two there, four there. He's not a big base dealer. So those who are saying those 20 steals this year are going to jump to 30, that's where you need to pause. You also need to pause, I think, on the batting average. It's probably going to be more likely in the 240 to 270 range. I know I don't usually give that wide of a range when predicting batting average, but that's probably what you're talking about with Nolan Jones, maybe 250 to 270, because he's going to run such high babs, especially in Colorado. But I don't think we can justify where he's going. If you're talking the minimum pick, I almost shit myself when I saw this. He went in the second round of a draft. He went at pick 29. The maximum pick is beautiful at 111. Sure, at 111, absolutely take a chance. There's nothing you can do that'll hurt you really that badly outside of the top 100. You can make mistakes, but you can definitely make up for them, especially in a fab league, especially in a waiver league. You know, you're not if you're taking the guy like Nolan Jones in the second round, then you're screwed. Then your your team is sunk unless Nolan Jones is that second rounder. 
You can take a guy like Francisco Lindor in the second round or Austin Riley, who you know very damn well is going to be a second rounder. With Nolan Jones, yeah, he could be, but he's just as likely to be a 25th round value as he is as a second round value. We just have no idea to take that kind of chance, I think is foolish. Now, if you're taking him there, I don't know what to tell you. I'm sorry. I I don't agree with it. There are some people who are going to push for it. And a lot of drafts, he is going up there. It's not like this is one draft pulling up the ADP. We've seen him go in the top 40 of one, two, three, four, five, six different drafts. So it's not, it's not like it's a crazy thing that this one person did. Most of the time, people are taking him there. Like, there's only been a couple drafts where he's actually fallen outside of the top 100. People are going to be drafting him very high up. If you want to invest in Nolan Jones, it's costing you anywhere, depending on your league size, from probably a third to about a fifth or sixth. And anywhere in that range, I just can't get behind it. I think he's a really good ball player. I think he's going to be solid. But I don't think he's going to be a second-round fantasy value. That is for damn sure. Let's talk about Nathaniel Lowe. Sometimes he goes by Nate. Sometimes it's Nathaniel. I'm really not sure what it is these days. Let's call him Nate to keep it simple. He had a pretty good season, but it wasn't incredible like we thought it was going to be probably starting off the year. He looked really, really hot, but then we saw him kind of crash, especially over the last month of the season, batting only 160 the month before he batted 230, uh, 266. Excuse me. So he... I don't know. It wasn't terrible, but that last month kind of did drag him down. When his, you know, he's been a guy that we know is more of a batting average kind of asset. We saw it last year. He batted 302. This year, it looked like he was going to be more along those lines of the 280 to 300 range, but he ended up at 262. Now, the power also took a step back, only 17 homers despite playing four more games and having about 30, actually 30 exactly more at bats than the year prior. Not great. Definitely not great. Now, let's get to the good side. The runs went up. The RBIs went up. We're talking about a guy who is in an incredible lineup who will continue to be in an incredible lineup. He is signed through 2027, or he has arbitration eligibility through then at least. So he's good for a couple of years in Texas in this great lineup. I think he's secure uh, as the first baseman. He played there 161 times this year. That's his spot to lose, right? He also got his walk rate back up. Walk rate had been really good for him in his early couple of seasons. Last year, despite having a really great batting average, the best of his career, the walk rate went down to 7.4% after always being above 10. I shouldn't say always because his first season it was 7.7, but it was only 50 games. But he got it back up to 12.8% this year. Got the strikeout rate, you know, keeping it at the same place it's been, but it's generally been going down these last couple of years, 22.8%. I just worry a little bit about the power with Nate Lowe. We're seeing projections for 21 homers. They're kind of averaging out what we saw the last two years. 21 to 22 homers are going to be the projections. I don't know if we're going to see even 20. Like, I think 20 is probably about as much as you can hope for. He's not a guy, it doesn't appear, who really cares about hitting for power. Like, I I don't see it in the profile that he is somebody, and if you watch him swing, I think he's more of a contact-driven guy. I, I don't know that we're going to see him get back up to close to 30 homers, and I think a lot of people were probably hoping that he would surpass 30 after going for 27 last year. But I think in all reality, you're probably looking at 17 to 20 homers. You'll see good counting stats because the lineup is great. And I think you'll probably see the batting average eh, maybe go up a little bit. But that 300 season is starting to look like a bit of an outlier along with the 27 homers. The other seasons, you're looking at 263, 224, 264, and 262. The 302 is kind of the big outlier there. So maybe we regress it back to 270, 260 or so. I think it's still very good. I think it's still a very good line and you should be interested in him to some degree 
especially because the price is, is not going to be that high, and it's not that high right now. It's 193 I, I think it's fine at that point to take a chance on him. Minimum pick is too high at 122 I wouldn't go there. But at 221 the maximum pick, and that's a lot closer to where he is going in all reality, closer to pick 200 I have no problem with it there. I think that that's a very reasonable spot to take a chance on Nate Lowe, get some batting average stability, even if it's not amazing batting average. 260 is pretty stable, especially in that lineup, especially with decent pop. I'm not, again, it's not massive pop, not a huge home run hitter, but 15 to 20, 17 to 20 kind of range. Uh, I don't have any problem with taking him there around pick 200. No problem at all. Now, it may come as a bit of a surprise who came in at number 20 on this list. But once you hear the numbers, it probably won't be as surprising. It was Carlos Santana. Carlos Santana, who a lot of people predicted, and that's one where you got to kind of tap the industry on the back. Uh, you know, a lot of people will hate on the data. As many people love the data as hate it, but I think the ones that hate the analytics tend to have a louder voice sometimes for whatever reason. But all the data told us that Carlos Santana was going to have a bounce-back season, was going to have a better year than he did last Even though last year wasn't bad, the data told us that he was going to be one of the people who benefited more than anybody from the lack of shift. The batting average went from 202 up to 240. We saw him go from 19 homers up to 23. He also had 78 runs, 86 RBI, and I think maybe the best part was six stolen bases. We saw a little bit of that early career Carlos Santana when he was with Cleveland, where he was stealing a few bags. He even had as many as 11 stolen bases one year. We saw him get back up to that a little bit. Now, Carlos Santana is one of those guys where there's nothing to do, really. You know, like I, I don't know that you can project really much, if anything, out of Santana. Um, are you going to be taking him as a high draft pick in any particular leagues? No. Are you going to be you know, looking at him and saying, oh, he's really going to be a great value? Eh. I think he's just whatever. You know, he's going to pick 509, minimum pick of 297, maximum of 506. He's only been taken in 31 of the 44 drafts that have happened so far. Now, is he he's maybe somebody who could retire? I don't think there's been any news on that, but at his age, I mean, you never really know. Drafting him right now, especially as a free agent, he's 37, he'll be 38 at the beginning of next year. I think there's a lot of risk in drafting him. Like if you're talking to draft and hold league where you kind of need warm bodies down the stretch, you're hoping to have somebody to fill in here or fill in there to draft the guy who currently is jobless and is also going to be 38 years old and could retire. I, I don't know. I wouldn't be doing it. I personally wouldn't be, but at the same time, maybe he gets signed and he gets another, another season here. He played a lot, played 146 games and in the field a lot as well. 135 games only 11 at DH. I mean, maybe another team does give him a chance. A team that is either a rebuilding team that needs a veteran presence or somebody who just needs a first baseman. Maybe he does get another chance. Maybe he does. So there's there's a chance that it is a decent value at pick 500. And there's not really any major reason I can give you to stay away other than the fact that he might not play next year. You, you have no idea at this point, especially being unsigned. If he had another year on his contract, I'd feel a lot more confident. But mm, being a free agent... It does lead to some tricky situations at this point of the offseason when you're drafting. You have no idea. I mean, if a guy's like a Bellinger, sure, Blake Snell, they're going to get signed. No shit, obviously. But Carlos Santana, I think there are some uh, some red flags there potentially. But that'll do it. Those are 
11 through 20 on the Yahoo First Base Ranker. That is our second part of the First Base Review tomorrow. You guys know the drill. If you've been around, if you haven't, that's okay. We'll go through it. We are going to just talk about some guys who finished outside of that top 20. For one reason or another, first base eligible players who were not inside of the top 20. There's some very, very interesting ones. Yainer Diaz, Tristan Cassis is there. There are a lot of names that we are going to talk about. So make sure you guys are tuning in tomorrow. We'll also talk about one of my favorite players, Ryan Noda, who I know is not anybody's on anybody's radar, really, uh, but just somebody that I like a lot, Oakland A's. Um, you, I think yeah, maybe you don't, honestly. If, you, if he plays just for the Oakland A's, then there's a good chance the average person does not know him. But we're going to talk about him and a bunch of guys. We're going to just go through these Guys who were either not great this year, they got hurt, or they're a young guy who came up and they didn't have a full season to produce and get into that top 20. One way or the other, we'll talk about guys that we haven't got to so far. But until then, guys, reach me over on social media at JoeRico99, also at EthosFantasyBB, and at SportsEthos.com, of course, is where you get all that right from the source. Until tomorrow, guys, though, take care, have a great night, and cheers. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.